Amen. Church, I am so glad you guys are here this morning. One of my favorite things to be able to do is to preach God's word. And so this morning, getting the opportunity to open God's word with you guys together, it is one of my favorite things to do in life, and it is one of my joys and honors, honestly, that God has gifted me with. And so I'm so excited that you guys are here. Thanks for being here this morning. Now, in staff meeting, we were talking a little bit, and we were talking, well, when do we want to do announcements? And they looked at me, they said, Thomas, the floor is yours. And so this morning, I'm going to start church a little differently this morning, all right? This week, I don't know about you, but I, I visited some people in the hospital. I got a call on the phone this week that there was just some tough news. And there was people that I visited, they're going through some things, and as I thought about it, I realized all of us have different struggles and weights and burdens Maybe you had a crazy busy week. Maybe, maybe you got some family drama going on. Maybe you got a call that, that was unexpected. Maybe work has been difficult. I don't know what you're struggling with. But Satan loves to use those little things that you're struggling with to distract you from this morning's service. So can we just start this morning by taking a few moments and just dedicating the service to Christ, saying, God, will you take my distractions? Will you take, take my pains? Will you take my hurts? God, my, my worries of this week, God, will you take it? Because God has something for you this morning. And so just over the next few moments, will you say, God, will you keep Satan from this place? Will you just do an incredible work in our church? God, we love you. God, what a privilege it is to know you. God, I don't know what each and every person carried in with them this morning through the door. But God, I ask that they just lay it at the feet of Jesus this morning. God, you have something incredible in store for them this morning, and that's through your word and worshiping him. God, will you do an incredible thing through your word this morning? God, we love you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, I'm so glad you're here. I do want to go ahead and get started by de debunking a myth, and uh, I've been asked this a lot. If you see there's a guy there on the screen, that is not me, all right? I just wanted to start off by saying, guys, that's not me. I've never met him in my life, but I, I appreciate you guys thinking it was me. Maybe, maybe one day I'll get, I'll get my picture for the sermon series, but right now it is not me. I just thought I would start off by saying that. Well, as you guys know, we're in Ecclesiastes, so if you guys have your Bibles, we'll be in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 this week. And Ryan started with the first 11 verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 2 last week, and this week we're going to be picking up in verse number 12. I titled this week's sermon, Why Am I Not Satisfied? Why Am I Not Satisfied? I read through this passage a lot over the last few weeks. I will be honest, Ecclesiastes, this has been probably the most time-consuming sermon I've ever spent putting together. And as I went through it, I read through this passage over and over and over again. And this is the conclusion I've come to, all right? This probably isn't accurate, but will you just picture this with me, all right? Solomon, he's, he's sleeping, and he, he's having this restless night, man. He just can't sleep, and he gets up early one morning. He's the first person up. He goes out, and he sits on his porch with his morning coffee. The sun's beginning to rise. He's in that like rocking chair, you know those rocking chairs from Cracker Barrel? He's sitting in one of those and he's rocking back and forth and he, he's thinking, he's looking back over his whole life. It's like Grandpa Solomon. He's sitting out there and he's like, man, why am I not satisfied? He pulls out a pen and a piece of paper or he pulls out his MacBook and he begins to type. He begins to write down, man, why am I not satisfied? And as he begins to write out pretty much a diary of his life, we get the book of Ecclesiastes. 
And so with that picture in mind, what we pick up in verse number 12 this morning, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 12. The Bible says this. In verse 12, our first point this morning is this, the vanity of wisdom. Verse 12 says this, so I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. Verse 17. Solomon says this, so I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. Point number one is this this morning. Why am I not satisfied the vanity of wisdom? As you guys are aware, Solomon, he literally was given wisdom by God himself. Like how incredible is that? And so as we look at why Solomon comes to the conclusion that wisdom is vanity, the first point under that is this. Solomon begins by saying the comparison of the wise and the fool. He begins with this comparison. In verse 13, the Bible says this, Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than there is in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Solomon opens up this contemplation with this comparison of, hey, there's a fool and there's a wise man. And he comes to this understanding that I think we can agree with, right? He says, hey, there's obviously more gain in being wise in life than it is being a fool. Now, if I was to ask you this morning, how many of you guys know someone that is just living foolishly? Immediately, I can think of a few people in my head, but you got to remember, I deal with teenagers all the time too, so. But but I've had countless conversations where I'm talking with my wife, and a name gets brought up, and we're talking about them, and, you know, we're burdened for them, and we're like, man. And we just come to the conclusion, they're just living foolishly. You guys know people like that where they're spending their whole life and they're just being foolish. And Solomon comes to this place where he's saying, hey, there's there's wisdom and there's foolishness. There's folly, which can be translated to foolishness. You know, and there's obviously gain in living wisely. I think we can agree with that. Obviously, the person that lives wisely is going to have more gain than the person that is living to be a fool. And so here we have Solomon's painting this picture. He's like, hey, the the person that lives wisely is walking in light. He, He has his eyes in his head. But the person that is walking foolishly is walking in darkness. He's just in darkness. And so Solomon comes to this conclusion to open up his statement here. He's saying, hey, obviously there's gain in living wisely. But... There's not much gain if you're living foolishly. All right, so that's where we start. That's our starting point. The vanity of wisdom, number one, there's a comparison of the wise and the fool. That means we come to the second point under this, the fate of them both. The fate of them both. In verse 14, the second half of verse 14, the Bible says this, And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me. 
Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise and of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies, just like the fool. Second point under this is the fate of them both. Solomon, he comes to this point where, hey, obviously there is gain in living wisely rather than foolishly, right? You look at people that are living foolishly and you're like, hey, just stop being a fool. But the man who had all wisdom, the man, the, the wisest man other than Jesus to walk this earth, comes to the point where he says, what was the point of me being so wise? Man, I lived the wisest life of anyone else. And it's vanity. Because my conclusion is the same conclusion as the person who's being a fool. I think of it in this way, in modern terms. I think of it going downtown Chicago. And you go downtown Chicago to the Willis Tower. Now, I believe you guys call that the Sears Tower. Am I right? All right, I'm getting used to this whole Chicago thing. And so when you go downtown, you go to the Sears Tower, and you look way up, and there upstairs, there's the penthouse suite. And man, the man that owns the penthouse suite, obviously he's made some wise choices to get to that wealth, right? To get to that prestigious position of owning the penthouse suite of the Sears Tower. And imagine if he was to come down and walk out the front doors, and next to the Sears Tower, there is someone who has just made foolish choice after foolish choice after foolish choice, and now here they are, they're just asking for money because all of their foolishness has led them here. So you have one of the most, maybe one of the most wisest people walking out of the doors, front doors of Chicago, and then you have someone who's just been foolish. And there you have this comparison. There's this wise person who's spent his whole life living wisely, and then you have this person who has been foolish. And Solomon comes to this realization that in the end, they both die anyway. So what's the purpose? You know, it's interesting, in 100 years, we're not going to remember the person who had the penthouse suite. In fact, I don't even know who has the penthouse suite right now. In 1,000 years, it's really not going to matter. We're not going to remember the person who lived foolishly. We're not going to remember the person who was super, super wise. And so Solomon comes to this conclusion where he says, why did I live so wisely? I spent my whole life trying to be as wise as possible. And the same fate happens for me as the person who lives foolishly. And for us, isn't it common to think, man, that's just so unfair. Isn't it the worst when you work so hard? You're trying so hard in your finances. You're trying so hard in your health. You're trying so hard to live a wise life. You're reading books. You're trying to be disciplined. And you're trying to live wisely. And then you see someone who's foolish. And it just seems like everything's falling into place for them. And here you're trying to do your best to be wise. And you just come to the conclusion where, why am I trying to live so wisely? What's the point? Solomon's having the same deliberation in his head. He's saying, man, I've spent my whole life trying to be so wise. And it's vanity. And here's the part where it breaks my heart. The third point under this is this. Solomon's conclusion of it all. The vanity of wisdom. What is Solomon's conclusion of all of it? Verse 17 says this. So I hated life. I'm just going to stop right there. Solomon, Grandpa Solomon in his rocking chair, 
looking back. Man, I was so wise, and obviously there's better to be wise than the fool, but the same fate happens to both of them. They all die, and he comes to the conclusion of this, I hated life. Have you been there? Man, you are trying to live as wise as possible. Man, you are trying to live wisely when it comes to your health, your finances, your job, your work, your family, your marriage, and every area, you're trying so hard to live this wise life. You're doing everything in your own power, and you're reading books, and you're trying to become the best version of you you possibly can be. You're trying to become wise. And Solomon comes to this conclusion, I hated life. The man who had all wisdom, man, through his wisdom, he did incredible things. And he's looking back and he says, I hated life. Man, I don't know about you, but that breaks my heart. Dude, this, this man, he's asking himself, why am I not satisfied? I hated life. What a conclusion that Solomon comes to. The man who had the wisdom. And he says, what was the point? I could have lived foolishly. It's all vanity. We all die in the end. My conclusion is the same as the person who's a fool. So I hated life. It's all vanity. Can you relate with Solomon here in this point? Man, you are trying so hard to be wise. You're trying to gain wisdom. You're trying to do it and make it and live your best life. And you come to the conclusion, man, it's just not panning out. Yeah, I, just, I just hate life in this moment. Why is it not working out? Why am I not satisfied? That brings us to our second point. Our second point this morning is this, the vanity of work. The vanity of work. This verse picks up in uh, verse 18, chapter 2. The Bible says this, I hated there it is again. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be a master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. He continues that discussion on through verse 23, and we'll look at it here in just a minute. But here Solomon switches his conversation. Here he is. He's in his he's in his rocking chair. He's, he's thinking on his life. Man, I was wise, but I hated life still. Man, my work. Man, I worked really hard. And he's thinking about his work, and as he thinks back on his work in his life, he comes to the conclusion that his work was vanity. Why was his work vanity? Why was it vain to him? Why, in verse 18, does it say, I hated all my toil? Why did Solomon come to a point where he hated his work? Solomon hated his work, and there's two reasons, two conclusions we can come to from this passage. Solomon hated his work, and number one, Solomon hated his work because it doesn't last forever. Your work doesn't last forever. Will you read verse 18 through 21 with me? The Bible says, Solomon hated all his toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he, will be whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be the master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. 
This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. Solomon, he is sitting out here, and we got to remember, Solomon has done incredible things with his work. If you read verses 1 through 11, you're going to read that Solomon built an empire. He built forests. He built uh, gardens. He built uh, the, his palace. He just built these incredible things. His work was incredible. And he looked back on his work, and he came to this conclusion. He hated his work because there was coming a time where he was going to die, and he was going to have to leave it to someone else. Why am I not satisfied? I've spent my whole life working so hard, and I'm just going to have to die and give it to someone else. And who knows if that person coming up is going to be wise, be a fool. Who knows? Who knows? It doesn't last forever. Solomon came to this realization, man, I've spent my whole life working so hard and the time's coming where I'm going to die, and I'm just going to leave it for someone else. And I feel like so oftentimes here in America, we buy into that same lie. We, we disguise it as the American dream. You graduate high school, and then what's the next step? You have to go to college. Why do I have to go to college? Because you have to get that degree so you can go and start the job that you want to start. So you go to college, you work really hard to get that 4.0 so you can have those good grades, so you can get that piece of paper to hang on your office. And yes, I did it. Now what's the next step? All right, you spent four years working super hard. Now you're going to go and you're going to spend the rest of your life trying your very best to work. And here you come to a place where you get an entry-level job out of college, right? And then now your goals start. Man, I'm going to climb up this ladder, or I'm going to start my own business, or I'm going to achieve this success. And you spend your whole life trying to climb this ladder of success, as Sharpay would call it. And man, you are trying so hard. I'm so glad you got that, Zach. Wow, no one else did. It's all right. But you are trying so hard to climb this ladder. You're starting your business. You're starting your job. And your goal is, man, I want to be supervisor. Or I want that next upgrade in my company. Or well, this is my goals I'm trying to achieve. And you spend your life working so hard. When there's coming a time where all of that is not going to matter. Because you're going to die and someone else is going to replace you anyway. You know, there was a tragic accident this week. I'm sure you guys have read about it. I haven't read much. But I did see that there was an accidental shooting on a TV or movie set. And man, that is, that is terrible. That's so sad. This, this young person that, that died, they probably spent their whole life trying to get to that point, whether it was an actor or, or film producer or whoever it was. They've worked their whole life for that very moment. And in that moment, they died. And all of it was for nothing. And the sad truth is this. When the grieving stages is over, there's just going to be another actor or another filmmaker that comes right behind them to finish producing. Man, they spent their whole life getting to that point, and it was for nothing, because there's coming a time where you're just going to die, and you have to leave it all behind anyway. And Solomon's concern was, I'm leaving it behind, and what if the next person behind me is a fool? Man, what if they ruin my kingdom? What if they ruin the wealth I've collected? What if they're stupid? And he's, he's going through this debate, and maybe that's your concern. Man, I don't want to leave, it, I don't want to leave my inheritance to my children. Man, I, I don't know what they're going to do with it. Are they going to be foolish? 
Man, Solomon's struggling with this. I've worked so hard creating my work empire just to realize it's vanity. There's coming a time where I'm going to die and I'm going to leave it all behind. Why am I not satisfied? Solomon hated his work. Solomon hated his work, number one, because it doesn't last forever. Number two, Solomon hated his work because it was never enough. It was never enough. Verse 22, the Bible says this, What has a man from all the toil and striving of hearts with which he toils beneath the sun? Verse 23, don't miss this. For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Verse 23 says this. All his days are sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. It's never enough. Solomon comes to the point where he looks back and he's like, man, there was nights where I couldn't even sleep at night because I was too focused on my work. Man, there were days that were just so full of sorrow because all I was doing was putting time into my work, putting time into my work, putting time into my work, and I'm just going to die and leave it off for someone else. It's never enough. I remember a few weeks ago, there was, there was a really busy season in ministry, which is most seasons of ministry. But my wife looked at me and she said this. She said, Thomas, do you still like me? I said, yes, I still like you. What do you mean? She looked at me and she said, well, we just haven't talked in a few days. I said, what do you mean we haven't? We've been talking nonstop the last few days. And I thought about it for a second. I said, man, our whole conversation has consisted of nothing but ministry. We need to figure this out, and what do you think the best solution for this is, and how do you think we're going to apply that? And I neglected my relationship with my wife because I was too busy with my work. See, I'm guilty of it. See, all of us buy into this idea that your job is all you got. Man, your business that you're starting, this this company that you want to run one day, and you strive so hard to reach that next promotion or become the very best worker in your workplace or become president or CEO, whatever your dreams or goals or desires are, it'll never be enough. And as long as your priority is your job, as long as your top focus is your work, you will have sleepless nights. You're going to have days filled with sorrow. Solomon quotes it here in verse 23. He says, all his days are sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. Is this you? Man, do you have sleepless nights because you just can't think through your work? Man, I've been there. Ministry is no different. That's that's my work. And man, I am there and I'm just trying to think through and get ministry figured out and I I can't sleep at night and my days are just long and stressful and I come home tired and weak. And why? Because it's never enough. You know, if you're starting your own business or you're in a company, man, there's always steps that you're trying to gain of the next step. Man, I have these goals. Say, Say I'm starting my own business, all right? And I started my own business. All right, my first goal is I want to make $100,000 in sales. And say my first year, I accomplished that. Yes. Well, now I have to set new goals. This year, I want a million dollars. Well, this year, I want $5 million. This year, I want 100 employees. And so now we keep trying to, and goals are good. Solomon claims that it's good to live wisely. It is. 
But when your job becomes your focus in life, you will not be satisfied. Solomon, who built an empire, incredible works, hated his work. If your work in your life is your top priority, I know you can relate to what Solomon's going through. The sleepless nights, the tired days where you feel like your work is just this vexation. And I can guarantee you this, your work will never be enough. Why do guys who make $100 million a year still strive to make more money? Because it's never enough. Why do guys who are the best players in a specific sport, why are they still practicing every day? Because it's never enough. You see, Satan's going to get you to buy into this lie that, hey, you just got to accomplish the next thing, and then you're going to feel good. You get there, it feels good for a moment, sure. Man, let's have a party, let's celebrate. But then the next day, guess what? It's never enough. It's never enough, and you're continuing to move on. This was Solomon his whole life, and his result was this. So I hated work. I hated my work. I ask you this this morning. Can you relate with Solomon there? Maybe you can't relate to Solomon with his riches. Sure, that's kind of hard to beat. Maybe you can't relate to Solomon with his 700 wives. Sure, that's, that's a tough one to compare to, but maybe this is, this is where you're like, man, yeah, I can, I can relate here. That my, my work is, that, that's kind of my idol in my life. That's, that's, my, that's my joy, my pride and joy. It, it sure was for Solomon, and he came to the conclusion in his rocking chair, writing out Ecclesiastes saying, so I hated my work. Church, I don't want you to get to the point where Solomon was, look back and say, I hated my work. That brings us to our last point this morning. Our last point is this, Solomon's realization. Solomon had a realization, and that's in verse 24 through 26. Well, you read it. Verse 24 says this, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Then this next phrase leading into verse 25 is so crucial. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Solomon came to this realization. He wrote out the entire book or the entire book of chapter two. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter two. He wrote incredible things in there. He had done amazing things. He had tried it all. And he comes to this conclusion Apart from Jesus, there is no satisfaction. Apart from Jesus, there is no satisfaction. Why am I not satisfied? Man, Solomon had it all. He tried laughter. He tried getting drunk. He tried wives and concubines. He, he tried building gardens and forests, incredible things. He tried his work. He tried his wisdom. And he comes to this simple conclusion. Apart from Jesus, there is no satisfaction. You say, Thomas, how do you know that to be true? Because we were not created to be satisfied by earthly things. 
When Jesus created you, he didn't create you to be satisfied for th from things of the earth. Jesus created you to be fully satisfied in a relationship with him. If you missed that, don't miss that. All right. Jesus did not create you to be satisfied of things of this earth. Jesus created you to be satisfied with a relationship with him. If Jesus wanted you to be satisfied with earthly things, Solomon's chapter would be way different. Man, he would be saying, dude, I just had the best 80, however many years of my life because I had all the satisfaction this earth had to bring me. But it's not. He comes to the conclusion where he said, so I hated life. I hated my work. Why? Because apart from Jesus, there is no satisfaction because church, you weren't created to be satisfied in earthly things. You were created to be satisfied with your relationship with Jesus. Church, my question for you this morning is this. Are you satisfied with Jesus? Are you satisfied in your relationship with Jesus? Because you were created to be satisfied in him and him alone. I, I want to say this as the last point. With Jesus, you can find satisfaction in all things. Apart from Jesus, you, have, you will never have satisfaction. So church this morning, do you have Jesus in your life? Is Jesus real in your life? Have you asked him to save you from your sins? The first step in realizing, knowing Jesus and having satisfaction is having your sins forgiven. That's the first step of satisfaction. But then don't miss this, church. With Jesus, you can find satisfaction in all things. Jesus didn't create you to be miserable. Jesus didn't create you thinking, oh, you're really going to suffer. Man, you're going to hate that life you have. No, Jesus created you, and he has his best for you. Jesus has goodness for you. Jesus has blessing after blessing he wants to give you. But it only comes when you live your life the way Jesus has told you to live your life. You see, there's gifts that Jesus has given you. You say, man, where, where can I find sexual satisfaction that will satisfy me for my whole life? When you have one man, one woman for one lifetime. That's where that gift of satisfaction comes in when you do it Jesus' way. Where does that gift of, man, my work, man, I just want to work and be satisfied in my work. You have to come to a point where you understand Jesus' way is, hey, don't build up a kingdom on earth where moth and rust comes, uh, corrupts and thieves break through and steal, but build your kingdom for God's kingdom. How do I be satisfied in my work? When you go to work, it's not about you anymore. It's about building God's kingdom. How do I find satisfaction in earthly things? is by doing it the way Jesus has called you to do it. Living the life Jesus has called you to live. By obeying God's word and the instructions he gives you through his word. How do I find satisfaction? By living the life Jesus has called you to live. Church, apart from Jesus, there is no satisfaction. But with Jesus, you can have satisfaction in all things. And it starts here, church, simply, do you know Jesus? Is Jesus real in your life? Have you received him as your savior? You see, the first step of satisfaction is being saved from all your sins, being forgiven. Your shame, your guilt, your regret, gone. Why? Because Jesus has taken your place. Have you come to know Jesus as your savior? Because that's the first step in finding true satisfaction. But then from there, are you obeying God's word? 
Are you living the life that Jesus has called you to live? If you're not, you won't be satisfied. Will there be momentary pleasure? Yeah, because sin is fun for a season. But when you look back on your life like Solomon, man, my life was not satisfied. Why? Because you didn't live the life Jesus had for you. You didn't follow the instructions Jesus gave you in his word. I'll close with this. Church, I, I really struggled with this passage this week. Man, I, as I read through it, as I said in the beginning, this was probably the longest I've ever spent preparing a message. and I really struggled with this passage. And I, I say that because I didn't believe Solomon. In all honesty, dude, how can you read chapter 2 and not say, dude, you're lying, bro. You're, you're lying. You, you, gotta be, you gotta be fibbing, bro. You literally had everything. Man, any pleasure you wanted, it was yours at the snap of your fingers. He says he had wealth just stored up. He had herds greater than anyone in all of Israel. He had 700 wives. That's a different wife with 300 concubines. That's a different wife every day for three years. And then he cycles them again. Like, dude, he had everything. But then he comes to this phrase. So I hated life. I don't want to be Solomon when I'm 80 years old, sitting in my rocking chair, drinking my coffee, saying, why am I not satisfied? Solomon, you were right. So today, I'm going to take that step of faith. Without Jesus, there is no satisfaction. But with Jesus, I can be satisfied in all things. Church, it starts tomorrow when Satan comes to tell you, hey, hey, this momentary pleasure is going to be so much better than, than a life living for Jesus. And in that moment, momentary pleasures might be okay. It might satisfy for a second, but then all it's going to bring is guilt, shame, and regret. If you want a life that is satisfied, if you want to come to the end of your life and say, man, I am satisfied, not because of anything I've done, but I'm satisfied because of what Jesus has done in my life. You were created to be satisfied in Jesus Christ alone. Church, why am I not satisfied today? It's because Jesus is your only source of satisfaction and Jesus isn't real in your life. You're not satisfied. The only point you will come satisfied in this life is by living the life Jesus has called you to live. Let's pray. Lord, I love you so much. God, you have been so good to us. God, you want the very best for us. Lord, you have blessings for us. You have, you have gifts for us. You have incredible things for us. But God, it only comes when we follow you. God, today, across this room, will there be people that say to you, Jesus, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, will you be my life? Will you satisfy me, Lord? Lord, I pray that you work in their hearts. Help them to realize Keep Satan from them. Lord, keep Satan and the momentary pleasures away from them and help them to realize a life for Jesus will satisfy. Solomon realized it, but Solomon realized it too late. God, help us not to realize it too late. Help us to be satisfied in you. God, we love you. God, we ask this in your precious and holy name, the name of Jesus, amen.